welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grace Assembly of God Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. If you would like additional information, visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy this week's message. I'm excited to preach God's Word to you this morning. We're going to look at Luke chapter 10 this morning. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 25 through 37. And uh, it's rather on a familiar passage. Uh, For a lot of us, maybe we've heard this story about the Good Samaritan and uh, what this story represents. It's a a parable Jesus gives uh, during this series that we're on. It's called Loving God, Loving People. And really the greatest commandment Jesus tells us is loving God, loving people. And this is really building off of that, what that looks like in reality today. And uh, so this is a rather familiar passage on the Good Samaritan and uh, what the true neighbor looks like and really understanding a true neighbor. A neighbor, it could be somebody next door to you. It could be somebody on your, in your neighborhood. It could be just a random person out in the community who is just being a good Samaritan, a good neighbor, a true neighbor to you. And I don't know if you've ever had quite any experiences about uh, people being this good Samaritan to you or a neighbor to you. Um, you know, I had, I've had several different encounters with people, and um, some of them were very uh, fun situations. Some of them were very, uh, you know, it, it was times where it was kind of a, a craziness that took place in my life, but I had some people there that, uh, random people, that just kind of helped me out and was a good Samaritan, a good neighbor to me. I remember when I was about seven years old, and uh, I had a, um, you know, just my brother and sister, we, we lived out in the country. I mean, we were from the city of Lafayette, Indiana, but we lived out in the country, um, just right outside the city there. And, you know, there was a lot of bridges where we lived. And so um, we like to, you know, go to these bridges, hang out in the creeks and things like that. And we went to one of the smaller bridges uh, that were around our house and about five minutes away, rotor bikes and things like that. And so we're you know, whenever you get siblings together, everything turns into a competition. So that's just the way things are. And uh, so we thought it would be a cool idea to see who could throw the rock the farthest off the bridge. And so that's what we were doing. My, my brother throws his rock off the bridge and my sister's throwing it. And they're all older. They're both older than me. So I'm thinking, hey, I got I to gotta prove something here because I'm the youngest. And that's something that, you know, I felt like I always had to do. I got to prove that I'm better, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I've Growing up, I played baseball, so I know that there's that, that hop that those guys would do, and like especially if they want to throw harder, throw farther, you know, you get that little, the, those few hops in there. Well, I took more than just a few hops to make that happen. I took many hops to, to throw, and, um, and so, you know, I kind of back up, you know, and I'm going to basically do a c- couple of hops and, and get to the very edge, which there's like a little ledge there about knee high, and throw it as far as I could off this bridge, and so... I'm backing up, and I just start darting towards this edge area, but I didn't recognize that there was loose, some loose gravel right before that ledge. And so as I'm getting ready to plant, I plant and I slip, and I slip literally off the bridge. And luckily for me, fortunate enough for me, it was about a 15, 20-foot drop, which is still pretty far down for a 7-year-old. And um, fortunately enough, I landed on both of my feet somehow. I don't know how that happened. You tumble over and somehow land on your feet. And, you know, all of a sudden, my, my brother and sister are yelling for me, like, are you all right? Are you all right? I'm saying, I'm fine. 
you know, I, I was, of course, got cuts all over the place. And, and uh, so I'm trying to get out of this creek. And my brother, he gets on his bike. He goes to the house. And uh, parents, I don't know about you, but if you have a, a, a sibling or not a sibling, but a son or a daughter running into the house saying, Robert fell off the bridge. Robert fell off the bridge. How many of you know that's going to create panic in mom and dad? So they knew there was multiple bridges, so they didn't know it was this one. They, they, they were obviously thinking the worst. And so, um, you know, I finally get back up on top of the bridge, and there is this lady who just happened to stop and, and basically saw what happened. She was about three-quarters of a mile, a mile down the road, and she's explaining this eventually to my parents, but she's telling them, you know, this, I just see this little redhead go running right off the bridge. Like, she, she didn't even know that I was throwing stuff. Like, she just thought I was crazy. Like, I was just running off this bridge and jumping or whatever. And, and uh, so I, I was very thankful for her because I, I had enough scrapes and stuff on me that I couldn't ride my bike and, and back home. So she let me get in her very nice car, and I'm muddy, I'm wet, and all this stuff, and I'm just totally... Uh, destroyed that passenger seat with my filth. And um, she, she drove me back to my house and explaining to my parents. And of course, I had to explain to my parents, no, I was not on purpose trying to jump off a bridge and run off a bridge. It was an accident. So I had to explain that whole thing out. But the, the good news is there are just people that are just good, solid people who, you know, she could have ignored that whole situation. She could have just been like, those crazy kids are just kids being kids. Uh, but she, she was willing to stop. She was willing to willing to help uh, when necessary, and uh, the rest is history there. And it was such a, uh, a cool experience for me knowing that there are people, even random people who don't know you, that can still be looking out for you. And uh, so this is really when a Good Samaritan, when I talk about the Good Samaritan this morning, it's a rather familiar passage, but and I think it's such a, uh, a cool way to look at it when I, when I think of those stories like that. But um, to kind of dive into this scripture this morning that we're going to talk about, what a true neighbor, according to Jesus' definition, what does a neighbor look like? And today, according to the Bible, um, you know, there's this, this, this parable that's getting to be taught. And really, it's from a conversation that Jesus is having with a man that the Bible calls an expert in the law, which is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So these first five books. And so if the Bible is calling you an expert, how many know this guy knows his stuff? And, and so he's basically talking with Jesus about this greatest commandment. And he's basically then asking, what, what do I do to gain eternal life? How do I get to heaven? You know, it's a question that maybe a lot of people may ask today is, how do I get to heaven? I just want to make it. I just want to get into heaven. So here's this question presented to Jesus. And Jesus understands, but it's more so for the listeners. He's asking a question back. He says, well, how do you interpret this this idea of the greatest commandment, of how to gain eternal life. And so he's talking about loving the Lord your God, right? He's talking about loving people and loving your neighbor as yourself. He's, he's identified it correctly, and Jesus commends him for it. But then the guy takes it a step further in this passage. He then asks, well, who is my neighbor? And at the very beginning of this conversation, it says this guy is asking to test Jesus, but he's also talking about this whole neighbor thing to justify. So there is a testing of Jesus' knowledge and information as well as justifying the things he does. So there's a connection here. There's two different things happening here. And this is what is, is so interesting with this whole story is that the, there's a Jewish book. It's called the Book of Sirach. And it talks about not helping sinners. 
So basically, you help God's people according to this Jewish history, if you would follow that. Don't help sinners. Well, that's anybody who, according to them, non-Jewish. So for them, so for them, it wouldn't be a Samaritan. That's a non-neighbor, which makes the story even more interesting that Jesus would use a Samaritan as the plot twist in the story. The Samaritan. And even to call, you know, the parable the good Samaritan. That is an oxymoron statement. Like Samaritans, Jewish people, we don't have a whole lot of time to get into that history, but they do not like each other. They, in fact, just, just consider it, um, you know, best that they just stay away from each other. You stay, you live here, we'll live here, and we'll just be that way. Just don't bother us and we won't bother you kind of a thing. That's basically what's going down. So for an idea of a Jewish person to hear something about a Samaritan doing good, that doesn't make sense. And so this story is where Jesus is trying to change the way they look at it when it comes to being a true neighbor. What does a true neighbor do? What does a true neighbor look like? And really, this is what we start to realize, is that the first point I want to bring up here is the true neighbor sees. And in verse 33, I'm going to kind of paraphrase the story for you for the sake of time, that we um, understand where this is coming from. There's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 17-mile journey. This is a, if you been to uh, Jerusalem or Jericho and you've traveled this road, you would know that there is absolutely nothing between Jerusalem and Jericho. It's nothing but wasteland. There's not trees. It's just caves. So now you understand why there would be robbers and thieves because you can't run and you can't hide from them. There's nowhere to go. Somebody would come, try to rob you. There's no way for you to escape because there's nowhere for you to go. There's nowhere for you to hide, in other words. So this is what's happening. This man's traveling down to Jericho, and he gets robbed. He gets his clothes stolen, everything stolen. He's getting beat up. He gets basically left for dead. And then Jesus brings up three characters in the story, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. We find out from this, in verse 33, it says this, that there was a, well, get to the verse 31, 32, the priest and the Levite see him, but they pass, and they don't help him. Then it says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, when he saw him, this is a very common thing between these three individuals that are mentioned in Jesus' parable, his story, that the priest saw him, the Levite saw him, and the Samaritan saw him. A priest would be somebody that they would consider to be a godly man. A Levite would be somebody who would assist a lot with the priestly duties in the temple. And so these two people see him, but pass. You know, and it kind of makes you think about why did they pass and why did the Samaritan say yes? Because I think this, a lot of times when it comes to helping, serving, and looking for opportunities, we often pass on opportunities. Because the, the situation or the person doesn't look appealing enough to us. Doesn't look appealing. There's no, I mean, you've got to understand, a priest and a Levite, I mean, there's nobody around. So there's nobody to, to really pat them on the back. There's nothing in it for them. There's no reason really to, to help them. But they're not looking through the eyes of God. They're looking through the eyes of their own selfishness. That, well, this isn't, I mean, we're out in the middle of nowhere. I got somewhere to be. I mean, there's, I got a journey. If I stop, who knows? Those robbers could be looking for me. And, you know, that could be a problem. So there's, there's opportunities we see all the time. And, how many, and it really convicts me. Like, how many times do I see a problem, but I say, I'll pass. 
I won't do anything. I don't need to do anything. I don't got time. I don't have the resources. I, I don't know how to uh, associate myself with those kind of people, with those kind of situations. I don't have the experience. And a number of different things why we would pass on an opportunity, just like the priest and the Levite would pass. But it really comes down to the point of how do I see with the eyes of God? Because what, I, what, what this Samaritan, what Jesus is trying to show him, is that Samaritan didn't see him as whatever, as a Jewish person, non-Jewish person, whatever. He saw that this person deserved dignity. He deserved somebody to care for him. And that's what Jesus is bringing up. He's saying, don't, don't we just, people just deserve that dignity. And that's what Jesus is trying to get this Jewish people to understand is that regardless of the cultural background, regardless of what you may look like, that is, regardless of all that, regardless of how they smell, how they dress, see through the eyes of God what he thinks about them. Because Jesus thought it was necessary to die on the cross for you. So he thought it was necessary for Jesus to also die on the cross for all people. So those people that we just say pass on, doesn't look appealing to the eye, no one notices, no one's going to even notice that I passed. doesn't matter. What it's showing is the selfish motives that we can often have. And I, this came real to me, and this is really a life-changing moment for me when I was in uh, Bible school training to be a pastor, right? So if anybody should know, it should be me. And, um, you know, I am in school, and I go to a, a Walmart near my, uh, my, my campus in Missouri, and I'm just going to get something from the frozen food section, and I see this guy in a wheelchair wheel up right next to me, and he starts, you know, he's getting his stuff, and he sees my shirt. I'm wearing something that represented my school, Central Bible College, and so he starts asking me questions about my school, and he starts having a conversation, and he just finds out that I'm training to be a pastor. So then he starts opening up about everything in his life and, and like all the issues, all the problems and things, which, which was fine. But then I started to not really listen to him, but more so of looking at the stuff that was on him. He had a lot of bandages. I mean, when I say a lot of bandages, there were a lot of bandages and stuff wrapped. Everything was wrapped up, his arms, his waist area, his legs, I mean, his feet. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm just being honest. To me, it grossed me out. It did, because these bandages looked like they haven't been changed in weeks, and there's literally stuff seeping through the bandages, and I could see it, and I'm like, this is gross. Like, get me out of here. Like, I just want to leave. Like, I just, this is not, this is, I don't understand. I'm really uncomfortable, basically, and so as I'm trying to hurry up this conversation, I walk away, and I'm, I get around the aisle, and I turn the aisle, and then I just felt like the Holy Spirit say to me, was that opportunity not appealing enough to you? Was it not appealing? And I was like, oh. When you hear something like that, you're like, oh, I got to stop. And so I turn around, and I'm, no kidding, the guy vanished. He was gone. I literally went through every aisle. And I, I mean, Walmart's a big place, okay? So I, and I didn't go that far as, as far as away from him. I'm looking for him, and I did not see him at all. He was gone. But it really changed my life forever. It's a story I'll never forget. It's something I always remind myself of. Let me see with the eyes of God. And just because it may be not appealing to me personally, let me see with the eyes of God. Because when people say no to an opportunity, Christians, followers of Jesus, say yes to the opportunity. They look at the community and they say, those people who've been forgotten, those people who've been abandoned, maybe by a parent, maybe by whoever, we don't abandon them. We don't leave them alone. We don't say, well, 
Somebody else will get to it. Somebody else. No, we see through the eyes of Christ and we say, no, I see them. And I'm not going to ignore it. And even if nobody knows what I'm doing, I can't pass by. I can't go to the other side and just leave without doing nothing. Through this, we see that Jesus is teaching us through this story, two men passed, but the other one didn't. He saw through what really is the eyes of God. I see a man who needs help, and I'm going to do something. And what happens next? It tells us this in verse 33 as well, that he took pity on him. He had compassion over him, in other words. And I love what this is all about, because really the meaning from it can be found in Luke chapter 17, verses 13. It talks about this man being... Uh, or Jesus is approaching this village called Nain. It means, you know, this place that's lovely, a green pasture. So it's a, supposed to be a, a beautiful, quiet, peaceful town, in other words. That's how I picture it. But it is anything but beautiful and peaceful at this point because there is a mother whose son has died. And there's a crowd that's with her, and they're carrying this, she's carrying her dead son to Jesus. And this is the response from Jesus. Watch what our what, watch what, how our God responds. It says his heart went out to her. He felt compassion. He felt the pain. And he wanted to do something about that. And so he begins to tell this mom, after she has experienced tremendous loss, and she says to him, don't cry. Or he says to her, don't cry. Don't cry. And then he speaks to the son, says, get up. And the son wakes up and he's miraculously healed. But you know what's so interesting? Jesus is more interested in spiritual healing than physical healings. Because you see what happens next. As a result, it says news about Jesus spread all over from this town, from these people. It's such an amazing thing. And I, as I was writing this, you know, I just felt the Lord say something to me as I was reading about this particular passage, this village called Nain. And, you know, there's... Um, maybe a mother or two. I shared this a little bit in first service, but the Lord, I just felt like the Lord saying this is more, more so for the second service. But there's a mother here who, you have a son. He's not dead, but he's spiritually not walking with the Lord. In other words, he's spiritually dead. And your heart breaks. You're carrying that son in prayer and you're asking God, please rescue my boy. Please. And this is God's response to you. Don't cry. Don't cry. I hear you. My heart goes out to you. And just like Jesus spoke to that boy, Jesus is speaking to your boy. He is talking. He has talked to him already, and he will continue to talk. He will continue to reach out. And he will over and over, he will not give up on your boy. He's not giving up. I don't know who that's for, but I just felt like I have to share that because I couldn't walk out of the service without saying it. But I don't know who that is this morning, maybe one, maybe multiple, but just let you know God knows, and his heart is going out to you, and he is talking to your boy. And this is such a, an amazing passage to know that, you know, through this experience that I had before and at that Walmart, really it prepared me for a, uh, another experience that I had in college. A few years later, I was able to go to a missions trip in South Africa, and we went to this village. Um, really, it was large, um, about a million people, but it was out in the middle of nowhere. A lot of Basically, every house was connected. They had 10 metal houses. I mean, it was smaller than a, a, a classroom. I mean, and they would have 10 or 15 people living in these homes. And what was striking to me is 
there is around a, a million people that they have been forgotten. They had been basically abandoned. Nobody, you wouldn't even know unless somebody told you that these people were out there. They're just out in the middle of nowhere. 95% of these people have an HIV infection. And I started walking from house to house, and I'm thinking, how many of these people have that? How many of these people aren't going to be able to grow old enough to even enjoy maybe parenting or even be a grandparent because of this infection? And then, you know, we were able to go to this local, there was a little hospital there, it wouldn't pass America's code whatsoever, and there's this big room, it's dozens of people, and they're all laying there. They all have basically what happens with HIV infection. It can increase in its worst stage is when you hear the words, they have AIDS. That is basically a death sentence, especially when you don't have the care uh, in, their country, in that specific area. They didn't have the resources to help those people whatsoever. It was, that was a death sentence. And I remember just walking into that room, seeing all these people laying on their hospital beds, and they have AIDS, and who knows how long they have. It could be any moment. And there are people who are, they were older, middle-aged, and there were people who were my age looking at me. They couldn't say anything, but they were looking at me. They were staring at me. And I thought, I can't do anything. I don't know what to do. And my heart was going out to those people because I'm, I'm, I've, got, I've been so blessed and I've been able to experience so much already in my life. And these people, they're laying there hoping for something to happen. And I remember walking out of there just thinking, God, we, somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to do something. And then I felt the Lord just say, I am doing something. You see those people who are helping them? They're all Christians. They're all followers of Jesus. They have no outside resources. But you know what? These people came together from different nations, even locals, who said, you know what? We're going to do our job. We're going to do our part. We can't watch this go by anymore. So we're starting a hospital. We're starting to, we're going to provide as much care as we can. And if those people go and meet you know, and basically go into eternity, we're going to make sure they have an opportunity to meet Jesus before they actually meet Jesus. So they're witnessing to these people. You know what? It's such a cool thing that even though, but it's also something that we need to keep in mind that there are times, and especially with Jesus, he had the, you remember those friends that were helping this one friend, they were lowering him into uh, this group with Jesus. They couldn't reach Jesus. The crowd was too big, but they lower his friend they lower their friend through the roof in front of Jesus. And before Jesus heals him, he tells the man his sins are forgiven. See, Jesus, sure, he, he can heal. But what a tragedy it would be for him to heal you physically, but not heal you spiritually. What a tragedy that would be. To know that you've been healed physically, but then you miss out on eternity with Jesus. This is why it is so important, regardless of what we go through, does he have the ability to heal? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. But he's more interested in your relationship with him that you are ready to meet him. That you have to be ready. And I don't know who may be in here, but are you ready to meet Jesus? If today would be your day, would you be ready? Because his heart goes out to you just like this, this verse talks about. And then the last couple of verses that we're going to mention here in verse 34 through 35, it says this about the good Samaritan. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which, and basically he goes on, which one do you think was a neighbor? 
And this is how the man responds. It's very interesting. We might read over it and not think anything about it, but watch this. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus goes, says, go and do likewise. You notice that he won't even admit that it's the Samaritan. He won't even mention the name. That does not make sense. The good, a good Samaritan? <laughs> that must be, that's crazy talk. I'll admit that this guy had mercy, but I'm not going to say it's a Samaritan because I don't see Samaritans good like the way you're trying to teach me. That doesn't look, that doesn't look, make any sense whatsoever. Unwilling to admit makes no sense. Why would he help this person? This is what's so interesting because the true neighbor serves. And really what Jesus is doing, he's describing himself. Jesus is literally describing himself. He's providing bandages. He's providing healing from the infection. That's why they would have oil and wine. Oil would prevent the swelling. Wine would purify the wound. It would purify the infection so it wouldn't, it wouldn't get any worse. And then he provides him a place to stay. And then he says, I'm going to keep providing for him and reimburse for any other expenses that he may have. Isn't this a beautiful picture of our Jesus? This is what even is said in the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6. These are bad days in the times of Israel during this time. And this is what verse 6 says. They have been judged by the things they have done, and they are guilty. And this is what the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. He says this in verse 6. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness. Only wounds, welts, and open sores, not cleansed, not bandaged, not sued with olive oil. That is literally the penalty of sin. That is literally what the penalty of sin looks like. There is no bandage. When you, when you, are, when you are acting the way these Israelites were acting, but I love, just read a few chapters later in chapter 6. For unto us a son is born. The weight of the world will be placed on the shoulders. The weight of sin will be placed on the shoulders. He is called Almighty God, Prince of Peace. He is telling us in these verses, yeah, that's the, you're guilty of sin. But guess what? I'm providing a way because I'm stopping the infection. I'm stopping the swelling. I'm going to provide a place for you to rest in my presence and I will reimburse anything that sin brings against you or anything that the, the devil may try to bring against you. This is why the gospel is so beautiful. He forgives us. Forgives our past, present, and future sins. Some people have the problem with the future sins part I just mentioned. But let me just tell you something. In reality, if you would get into a conversation with somebody and you said something you shouldn't have said and you drove home and you didn't make it home, who's gonna be, you're going to be held accountable to that sin if the future sins aren't forgiven. Am I right? If you didn't confess, you didn't have time to think of everything that you could possibly think of. But you know what? This is what Jesus says he will do. That's why it's such a beautiful thing to know that your past, your present, and your future sins are forgiven. Now, Paul would go on to say that it doesn't give us excuse to keep on sinning. That's not what it's about because we want to be, we're set free from sin. So now we, look, we walk in freedom. We don't walk in defeat. Sin brings you back to defeat. Jesus brings you into freedom. And that's what, we're, that's what we're living for. And this is such a, an amazing part for what Jesus is talking about because it's really the true neighbor is Jesus. 
The true neighbor is Jesus. The good Samaritan, you know why people can't wrap their minds? Because why would a God send his one and only son to earth and he's God? Why would he be here? Why would he die on a cross for sins for the world? That makes no sense. And that is Jesus' point. That the gospel is so amazing. It's so wonderful. It's even hard to believe. But when you believe in faith, you receive. That's what it takes to believe. Then you receive. This is why it doesn't make sense. A good Samaritan. That's what Jesus was trying to get to. But he, he's okay with it. And he tells him, just go and do likewise. Go live this out. If you truly believe what you said, go live this out and show mercy likewise. This is why Jesus is the true neighbor. And as a result, we become the true neighbor to those around us. That this is what we understand. That the true neighbor has a heart to serve wherever, whenever. The true neighbor has a heart to serve wherever, whenever. When the community or when somebody says that doesn't look appealing enough, we say that person deserves the dignity. And so I'm going to give it to them. They may be ignored, but I'm not ignoring them. Sometimes we, we treat feelings like, well, the feelings, it just gets in the way. No, that could be the very thing God uses to get your attention, to show you how it breaks God's heart. Feelings can be misused, yes, but they are still a gift from God. Feelings are a gift because we get to feel what breaks God's heart. We get to know what that looks like. We get to feel it as well. And we don't have to ignore, but we get to respond through acts of service. And maybe you're here today and you need to get right with the Lord and you need to come to know Jesus. Praise God, I hope you do that. But there may be opportunities for you that you may see every single day that have not, you have not, basically, maybe you've seen it, but you haven't done anything. Or maybe you're in the stages of trying to figure out what to do. Continue to pray, continue to think, continue to ask God for help. And eventually, you need to start putting that faith into action. At some point, say, you know what, I'm going to do something. I don't know how, but you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do something. Maybe you already know what that is. Maybe you already know that person just being ignored, just being forgotten about. But you're saying, I'm not. I'm not going to ignore them. My heart goes out to them, and I'm going to share with them how much God loves them through acts of service, through my words, through whatever way I see, whatever God empowers you to do. Just follow him. Realize who the true neighbor is, Jesus And now we get to be a part as well. We get to be true neighbors to everyone around us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up this morning as we close today. And just want to, you know, provide opportunities for us to, um, before we get out of here today, we want to provide opportunities for people to come to know the Lord. And maybe you're here. Maybe you're like, maybe you're like this person in the Bible who's like, "I, I can't even believe to think that a God would do something like that. Well, I can honestly just tell you, it's very true. It's very true. The proof of that is there's so many stories in this room who will tell you what Jesus has done for them. You just have to go a few miles down the street and see more churches and you ask them what Jesus has done for them. And they will share with you the passion, the excitement that Jesus brought to their life, the hope that was restored. I mean, all over this county, we have churches with people who have had stories about how God delivered them. There's your proof. It's in the testimony. It's in the story about how God redeems. That's where the hope is. It's through Jesus Christ. That's the common denominator. It's Jesus.
If you're here today and you would like to receive Christ, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. And if you can, at this time or at some point before you leave today, fill out that Connect card. And on the front, just says, today I would like to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you could just check that off, let us know that you did that. We want to commend you, celebrate with you, encourage you, and serve you in any way we possibly can because we believe that the church is here to equip and help one another, and that's what we're here to do because you can't do it alone. You're not going to be able to. We're, we aren't good enough to do that. We need people. We need a church to come alongside of us to help us. I need a church to come along and help me. I mean, everybody does. So this morning, if that's you, at some point before you leave, just fill that out. Let us know. We would really appreciate that. And we'll be in touch with you and just want to congratulate you as well as provide some helpful information um, as well. But the rest of you this morning, would you stand with me? And uh, the band's going to lead us in a song today. And uh, we're just going to sing this a couple of times through. But what I love about the Bible and I love about especially the Old Testament, when the Israelites would go into battle, God does something different. He tells the, the musicians, the worshipers, get in front of the army. Don't hide. Get in front and start to declare victory before you receive victory. That was the lesson. So if you're, you know, if you're carrying an instrument or something, you don't have a weapon, that's freaking you out, right? I mean, that's scary. But really, it's not just for a worship team. It's for all of us. Declare victory before you receive victory. That's what takes faith what builds us up so that I love singing at the end because we're literally marching out of here because we know there's an enemy the devil who tries to steal kill and destroy people and we're saying not on my watch that is not happening I'm walking out of here in victory and I'm going to share people with people where the victory belongs it's with Jesus so this morning as we sing this let that be your prayer say Lord open my eyes to see what you see break my heart for what breaks yours but help me to respond the way you are telling me to respond because if anyone was a better example it was Jesus so come on as the band leads us let's sing together this few times through and just ask the Lord to be with us to help us let's sing this together